Well, working through our series on the fruit of the Spirit, becoming more like Jesus, because the fruit of the Spirit, as found in Galatians 5, allows us, if we are people that bear that kind of fruit in our lives, it allows us to be more like our risen Savior. And so, uh, in thinking about... Just like last week, when we talked about love and how love should reign over us, uh, I started by talking about what love was not, and I want to do the same this week. I want to start by talking about what joy is not, and that brings us to Eeyore. If you're familiar with Eeyore and some of the other uh, characters and the, the Winnie the Pooh, and uh, Eeyore is, well, let's face it, Eeyore is clinically depressed. Uh, he just is. And uh, my wife said, you know, but what I love about that is that his friends accept him for who he is. They don't try to change him. There's a lot of truth in that. But what joy is not, joy is not, woe is me all the time. That's not joy. Joy is not... Our, us being a victim. Joy is not about, uh, you know, they're all out to get me and, oh, this is just, everything is just awful. That is not joy. That kind of behavior, that kind of attitude just doesn't bear good fruit. And so uh, we think about what joy is. The joy really... As you will find as we look at this lesson, joy is about relationships. Joy really is about other people and the people that we surround ourselves with in our lives. You know, uh, it's easy to be happy if you're on the beach. If you like the beach. Uh, some of you might say, well, I'm happy on the river. I'm happy when I'm fishing. I'm happy in my deer stand uh, during hunting season. And the list can go on and on about wherever your happy place might be. But joy, church, is not happiness. Because the problem with happiness is it's fleeting, right? Right? Happiness can be momentary. Happiness, you might even say, is sort of a, a sliding scale. You know, that there are times when there are times when we're happy and there are times when we're simply not. Happiness comes and goes. It can de- depend on our surroundings, our emotion, our our you know, whatever mood we're in at the time. But joy is different. You know, the fruit of the Spirit says nothing about happiness. The fruit of the Spirit says love and then joy. And so we think about what joy is. Joy is finding beauty when you have a yard full of weeds. Because that's what dandelions are, right? They're they're just a, a fancy weed, you might say. And uh, whenever Noah Cotton mows the, the grass here at the church building and over at the parsonage, it doesn't take long this time of the year. Uh, maybe 48 hours. And then what do you have in your yard? 
if your yard's like mine. Now, some of you all may have those meticulously manicured lawns and you've sprayed and you've done all the kind of things you need to do and, and you don't have any dandelions. But uh, the problem with that is your neighbor does and then the wind blows and then you got dandelions, right? But, but no, finding joy in places where some others uh, might be frustrated with it. That's what joy is. Joy is seeing beauty all around us. And in preparing for this week, and boy, I was, just the, the way the, the week fell, I was kind of running behind all week long. But uh, there was one particular song, as I started reading scripture about joy, one particular song, and I did not share it with Scotty Duncan in preparation for today. But I found myself walking around singing, How Great Thou Art. Because to me, there is no song that captures God's majesty quite like that old hymn. And the fact that he chose to sing it this morning, yes, it does contain that word joy. But to me, that was just a God moment right there. Uh, some of us kind of say a God wink sometimes. But to me, that was, that was a God thing this morning. That, uh, and, and just last night, uh, walking out of the back of the building, and uh, it was very late, and this town was so quiet. And everything was incredibly still. And just being able to take a couple minutes and kind of linger in the parking lot, uh, hoping a cop didn't drive by and wonder, what's this guy doing out in the parking lot at 1.30 in the morning? Uh, it's happened before. <laughs> but uh, just looking around and being able to thank God for everything in my life. And in that moment, I was experiencing pure joy. Because joy comes from such a deeper, such a more permanent place than happiness ever will. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. Just a handful of verses here. Luke 15 verses 13. Uh, I said 13 through 17. I meant to write on there, type on there, 3 through 7. So glad I caught that. That wouldn't have made much sense. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You see, joy is about being grateful for that one who turns to God. Joy is not found in the numbers. I think most every preacher gets excited when the attendance is good. 
you know, looking at your all's beautiful faces, and the faces change a little bit every week. But, boy, I got to tell you, Easter Sunday, next Sunday, Mother's Day, when there's going to be a, a few more people here, it's easy for the preacher to get excited. But is that joy? No. That's happiness. Because then once that worship service is over, what made me happy is gone, right? Because happiness is temporary. Happiness is fleeting. But see, joy is coming into this place, this holy ground, this hallowed space, every week, and connecting with God. Whether there's 47 people here, or 97 people, or 157 people. That's joy, church. Joy is not found in the shallowness that happiness is found in. Joy is found in a relationship with God. Joy is found in being a child of God. And just knowing all that comes with that. Boy, the number of times that joy or rejoice is used just in those, that handful of verses there. When the master is teaching his audience. But he's saying, you know, the joy isn't in the 99. Because left to our own devices, what do we say? We say, huh? One left. There's still 99 here. But no. God says joy is found in that one who comes home. That one who repents over the 99 that have no need for repentance. That's where joy is. It's about people. It's about relationships. And then looking over at 1 Thessalonians... going to begin here in the end of chapter 2 and then right to the end of 3. Now, Paul, it's worth noting, because I've always said, when we find repetition in Scripture, God is driving a point home to us. That's not coincidence. That's not by accident. When we find something that is repeated over and over, and in Paul's letters... He mentions joy at least 21 different times. Now church, that's significant. So, let's look at the letter to the folks in a place called Thessalonica. And you can tell in this section of this letter the, the deep concern that Paul has for these people. Paul cares about these people. Verse 17, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope? 
our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Don't miss that, church. The apostle here, this man that preached to so many that worked tirelessly to spread the gospel after he came to Christ. He is defining joy as what, church? As people. He says there in verse 19, Is it not you? You are our glory, he's saying. And then chapter 3, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Because yes, church, joy exists even amidst trials. It's a major difference between joy and happiness. For you not know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So Paul's concern is, hey, I spent time with you all. We, we strengthened a church there. We appointed elders to lead that church. And then I was concerned about you. And you folks, even though I'm separated from you physically, I'm never separated from you in thought. And twice he uses that term when we could stand it no longer, right? They could stand it no longer, so they sent Timothy. And they could stand it so longer, so they wanted a report. And he's saying, because we were persecuted, and he's saying, you know what? We're going to face trials. And church, 1,900 plus years later, do we face trials? Yeah. We've just come through a trial. It's not completely over. But the fact that we're here in this room together worshiping, where for so much of last year we could not, we have endured a trial. There is no event in my lifetime, and I would say in your lifetime, that has connected me to the early church like COVID-19 has. And so I am grateful. I am joyful. I rejoice that we can do so many things that we couldn't do before. It has put in perspective what is truly important. I hope it has for you as well. And then continuing on, verse 6 to the end here. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us 
and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. I got to tell you church, that last chapter, 11 through 13, I thought about not including that. But those are some beautiful words there, aren't they? Paul is talking about the ultimate joy of being united with Christ, of being with God for eternity. And that church, that knowledge... That, the end of our faith, results in heaven, in eternity with God. That alone should define us. That alone should bring us inexpressible joy. The movie that came out, I don't know how many years it's been now, 15, 20 maybe, I don't know. But The Pursuit of Happiness. It's based on a true story about a guy in San Francisco named Chris Gardner. And I think it was originally set maybe in the uh, late 70s, probably early 80s. And uh, Chris Gardner was a guy who... Uh, I think it's a great movie. It's one I encourage people to watch because uh, you talk about a guy who just keeps taking it on the chin. He's trying to do the right thing. His wife leaves him and leaves him and his little boy. Ends up losing the apartment and they're homeless. And he's trying to get a job. He wants a good job that he can set up life and not have to worry about money. And so he decides to go into financial sales. And he's trying to get a job with a firm uh, known as Dean Witter. And uh, that firm was later absorbed by uh, another Morgan Stanley, is is who Dean Witter is now. But uh, in the movie, uh, you know, he shows up for his job interview. And uh, I think he got the days mixed up or something. And he was painting an apartment. The landlord said, even though he was behind on the rent, that if he would go ahead and paint the apartment and save the landlord that money of having it done, then he could stay a little longer, keep a roof over the head of him and his son. So he has to go to this interview downtown San Francisco and he's wearing like a tank top and he's got paint all over him and uh, he's sitting in the lobby and all these people running around wearing suits, business suits. And he is 
beside himself with embarrassment. And he goes into the interview and the jaws of all these guys just drop. They are just dumbfounded. But he makes his way into the program. And by being in the program for several weeks, you prove yourself. You're not paid. And so he would have to leave early so that he and his son could get in line to get a place in the homeless shelter. But then there were times that they didn't always make it in time. The shelter was full and they were turned away. And there's this one scene where he shows them. It shows them uh, going to uh, a place and he goes in the public restroom late at night. Puts down all the paper so they won't have to have direct contact with the floor of a men's room. And that's where they spend the night. His son all the while saying, Daddy, I'm hungry. He's got nothing to feed his son. And of course, the, the movie has a happy ending. It's called The Pursuit of Happiness after all. I mean, Hollywood knows not to call a movie The Pursuit of Happiness and let it end unhappy. He lands the job out of like, I don't know, 20, 30, whatever trainees. He's the one guy they hire. And then he later leaves Dean Witter and founds his own firm. And Chris Gardner becomes a multimillionaire. But if you see the movie, there's a good reason that they call it The Pursuit of Happiness. Because Chris and his son, all through the movie, no matter what they go through, they have each other. And church, they have joy. They know what's important. At the end of the day, what is most important is their relationship with one another. And you see that even in the middle of all of this uncertainty, all of these trials, they still can maintain at times smiles on their faces and joy in their hearts. Not everybody gets to have family. Isaiah 56 verse 5 I will give to them in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, something better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name I will give them, one that will not perish. God telling uh, the prophet Isaiah, even the eunuchs are going to be taken care of, even those people that cannot have a family. Because I am going to welcome them into my family. I'm going to give them something better than an earthly family. That I am going to have a place for them. And then we see an example of that in Acts chapter 8. When the eunuch uh, is baptized by Philip. And it says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Even someone who could not experience life the way some other people get to experience life. And God says, but I'm going to care about them too. 
I will let them come into my house for eternity. I will give them something better than sons and daughters. Because church family, if we have the name child of God, it is the ultimate thing we could have. It is the ultimate state that we can be in. And it alone should be something that grants us pure joy. Church family, let's be people who look at life differently than some of the people around us. Let's be people who, in the midst of trials, and you all have known those people. Sometimes maybe you have been one of those people to someone else. And God bless you for that. That even when you've been given the diagnosis that is dreaded, even when you have endured the pain of loss, that you're still a person that has joy in their heart. Pain and sorrow? Absolutely. Paul tells the folks in Thessalonica, we're enduring trials. And he says... Trials will happen. It's a given. On this side of glory, we will endure pain, we will endure suffering, we will undergo trials of different kinds. A friend of mine from college that I had not spoken to, he was about three years ahead of me, and lives in Nashville, and he reached out to me unexpectedly this week, Wednesday afternoon. And he posed that question when he he contacted me. And he said, you know, what is it about a trials, the trials of life? You know, how do we know the source of these trials? Wanted to know, is this God testing us? Or is this something like Job where, you know, God is letting Satan have his way with us to an extent? Of course, that's a, that's a deep question right there, church. But, even in the midst of those kind of trials that make us ask those kind of questions, we should be people who have joy and who show others joy. May God help us to be those people. Let's have joy. Down in our hearts. Where? Down in our hearts. Let's let nothing in this life take away our joy. If you're with us this morning and you do not have that particular kind of joy because you are not yet a child of God, we offer an invitation to allow you to change that once and for all. The waters of baptism are available this morning. If you're with us this morning and you need to pray with us about something, as your your church family, we're here for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing together.